Michael Brewer, his wife is Lauren, and the little fella is Zeke, short for Ezekiel. It's a, totally a blessing to have them with us today. How has your week been? I hear, I hear, I hear such a mixture right now. I heard the word fabulous, and I don't know if that was sarcasm or if that was genuine, um, genuine sarcasm. Thank you so much for <laughs> that's good. I'm using that one. That one's mine now. I'm, I'm going to use that one. Uh, this has been the week that just you ever have a week. It seems like you don't sleep. You just don't sleep, and my wife was like, that's all you've done is sleep. I've had to work some nights lately, so, so I'm sleeping during the day, you know. I'm sleeping less, but it seems like more, because she's awake when I'm asleep, and, you know. But I am so glad to see you guys this week. I've been looking forward to this. I've been working on this message for, for two weeks. I had started it, um, and had it just in case, just in case Keith wasn't quite ready. Hey, last week Keith gave, gave his testimony. I hope that moved your heart. That moved my heart. If uh, Thank you for that, Keith. Thank you. And if you did not hear that, you need to go find the podcast and you need to listen because it will, it will move your heart. Absolutely. If you want to know where our podcast is, re, just look up Recreate Church on any place you stream audio. A lot of people already have something like Pandora or Spotify or iHeartRadio or Podbean, Podbean you know. You can, any kind of app like that where you get audio, you can, you can find us. So we are back in the book of Mark today. We've been following the story of Jesus in the gospel of Mark, which is the most fast paced action oriented of the four gospels. Always something happened. We've already seen in chapter one, we have seen Jesus. He's sparring with the devil. He's casting out evil spirits. He's preaching. He's calling disciples. He's getting baptized. And now he's going to begin a phase of ministry where he starts healing people left and right. And we like the sound of that. Healing. It's a big deal. It's one of the biggest things people pray about. Healing. Even folks who aren't really in the habit of praying will find themselves talking to God when they or somebody they care about is sick or hurt. Thank you guys for your prayers this week for some of our own. I mentioned that, you know, Billy and Billy, Billy Honeycutt and Billy Ayers, and praise God that he answered those prayers and brought them both home safe. Pray for, for Billy Honeycutt. He's banged up his leg, and we need to pray for his healing there. So glad to have both of y'all here today. We pray about healing, and it makes sense. We should pray about healing. God is the healer. He does miracles have you ever seen a miracle i see some miracles right now because i know some of y'all shouldn't have made it if not for the miracles we have folks in this room who are walking miracles or sitting miracles right now you're sitting but if you want to walk around that's fine god does do miracles I, i've seen people brought back from the brink our God is powerful to heal. Do you believe that? Yes. Absolutely. But then there's the other part we don't like to think about. We don't like to talk about. God tells us to pray for healing. He absolutely has the power to restore sick and injured bodies. 
And we have seen him do it. He very often sends healing, but not always. What are we, what are we, what are we to make of that when he doesn't answer our prayers for healing? Lord willing, we're going to be finishing up Mark chapter 1. So if you want to find Mark chapter 1, verse 29, or you can follow along on the screens, I'm going to, going to read some of this, and maybe we can begin to unravel a little bit of the mystery of why sometimes God heals and sometimes he doesn't. Now, as soon as they come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. I want to stop there and pray. Heavenly Father, we give it to you. Please open these scriptures up to our hearts. Please speak to us, Lord. This is something we need to know. We want to trust you, but we want to know a little bit more about this. So please speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have read back in the book of Mark, if you follow this along, you already know it's been a wild day. It's one of those days. Have you ever had a day that was so wild and so weird and you're like, man, I'm glad that's over. And then it gets crazier, you know, it's it's it, it's already been a wild day for Jesus here. He has been to a synagogue for a synagogue service, what we would consider like a church service. And in the middle of the service, a guy who was possessed by an evil spirit interrupts everything and says, what you doing here, Jesus? Have you come here to destroy us? Don't you know? I know who you are. And Jesus deals with that. So what a what a, a memorable synagogue service that was. I have never had anybody jump up in the middle of a church service uh, who had like an evil spirit in them. So far as I know, I had, you know, one time in my first church, I had a guy who hadn't really been to church much. And he stood up in the middle of the service and asked a question. Because about the service, about the message. Like, preacher, what does this mean? I just answered him like, like it was totally normal i just didn't let him know anything different i think some people said something to him after that like hey that's not normal you know what i don't care i ain't saying i've seen everything but i've seen enough you can throw me off my game probably but you're gonna have to work pretty hard at this point we have uh such a fun group here michael what you'll find if uh, if you hang around with us very much you come back again you'll find that some Sundays here, we have quite an active peanut gallery. All right, we have a very active group of people. The only group of people that I've ever preached in front of that uh, that I had almost this much fun with was up at River North Correctional Facility. So just, you're right up there with, with my, my brothers up there at, at River North. We had a good time there, didn't we, Billy? I'm itching to go back to prison, aren't you? <laughs> I like to give people a hard time. I'll be drinking my coffee. You know, if there's no coffee or cream or sugar, there's no cream or sugar for my coffee, it's like, I'm all right. I drink. I learned to, I learned to appreciate black coffee when I was in prison. And I just let it hang, and I don't explain anything. And they're like, has he been to prison or not? He doesn't look like he's been to prison. But no, the reason to drink the coffee black is because they won't give you sugar. You have to use Splenda, and I think I'd rather drink it black. Thank you very much. In, in, yeah, in, in, it's interesting, but I'll take it. Well, 
it had been a very wild morning already. And they go back to Peter's house, Simon Peter. You'll see him named called Simon here. We know him better as Peter. But at this point, he's still going by Simon, which was his name given by his parents. Jesus is the one who named him Peter. So you'll hear me say Simon. You'll hear me say Peter. You'll hear me say Simon Peter. All the same guy. They go back to his house with Andrew, his brother, who may have also lived there, and with James and John. So those four... Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they're four of the first of the apostles. And they must have really been talking about what, what a memorable synagogue service. Never seen that before. Someone else is in the house, at least one more person. Peter's mother-in-law is there. I know people like to joke around about their in-laws and not having a positive relationship with their in-laws. I've been very blessed. I have historically had a good relationship with my in-laws and i'm not just saying it because my father-in-law is sitting in the front row um in in peter's family his mother-in-law was living with him which probably means his father-in-law had passed away and and that was very common back then i would like to think that if i ever was living under the same roof as as my in-laws we'd all get along i, I don't want to find out Sometimes, no offense, no offense, Bill. I just, you know, I know if something happens, you'd take us right in, but let's hope it doesn't come to that. And we'd take you right in too. So they, they tell Jesus that this mother-in-law, I wish we had her name, this mother-in-law has a fever. Uh, so, hey, something else here. If he's got a mother-in-law, what else does that tell us about Simon Peter? He's got a wife. Simon Peter is the only one of the 12 apostles we know for certain had a wife, although some other of them did. We pick that up over in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5. It tells us that Peter and some of the other apostles had wives, or maybe all of them. We don't get any of their names. We just get that they were believers. And that's an important thing. You really want to be on the same page as somebody spiritually when you're married. It makes it tough if you're, you're not, not saying you give up or, or need to to get out of there, but you will have to pray and work a lot, lot harder at it. And sometimes God can, can use a spouse greatly to win another spouse to the Lord. But in this case, they were, they were believers. So Simon's mother-in-law is laying in bed sick with a fever, which we know means she had some kind of infection, a viral infection, a bacterial infection. They would not have been able to identify what that was back then. They just called it a fever and whatever you called it, a fever could be deadly. There were no antibiotics. There was no nothing. There was very little for treatment. You, you made it or you didn't. You prayed hard and hoped that everything would be okay. Jesus hears this, and he goes to where she's at, and he takes her by the hand and just lifts her right up out of bed, and she's well just like that instantly. It was a miracle. He raised up the sick. And made him well. Do we serve the same Jesus? Same Jesus? So he's able to lift us up just the same. He could lift us up out of terrible situations. Whether we have a broken body or a broken heart. Nobody can lift us up like Jesus. So when we're in a tight spot, absolutely we should be praying. When we are sick or injured or someone that we care about has some kind of physical affliction, should we be praying? Absolutely. Same Jesus. He can lift us up just the same. 
Love what this woman did. As soon as she was well, she starts serving people. I love that. Kind of that, that old school type of woman who's just so bent on serving people. That's where her heart was. And she probably understood something that maybe we could learn better is that her healing wasn't just for her. It was so she could be a blessing for others. You know, as God blesses you, it equips you to bless others. The good things God does for you, it's so you can do good for others. It's not just, okay, this is nice. It's now I am able to serve and to love others. This probably wasn't his first miracle of healing, but it was the first one in this area. And don't you know, people were talking about it. They had already talked about this guy who cast out the demon during the synagogue service. And now he's healed Peter's mother-in-law. Maybe people knew that she was sick. And so what's going to happen in a time and a place where there's virtually no medical care or nothing like we know today? And here is a man who has miracle healing power. Everybody wants to come and see this miracle man. But they don't come right away. Let's read verse 32. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, verse 32, when did they bring people to Jesus? That evening, after sunset. Why? Why not come right away? Why not come in the daylight when you don't have flashlights and you're at best going to have a lantern or a torch or something? Why not come in the daylight? Well, it has to do with what day it was and the way the Jewish people counted time. In our country, what time of day does a new day start? Midnight. Midnight, right? Midnight starts a new day. In Jewish culture, in the first century, it was sunset that triggered the start of a new day. So after sunset, it was a new day. This was a Sabbath day. So until sunset, it was still the Sabbath. And after sunset, it wasn't the Sabbath anymore. Why is that important? Because there were regulations that had to do with the Sabbath. They, they had customs that meant they could only travel so far on the Sabbath day maybe a half a mile in one direction from their house. That's as far as they could go. And they couldn't carry anything on a Sabbath day, which would include someone who was sick and needed to be carried or injured or, or unable to move. They would have had to carry them, so they weren't allowed to carry them. But after sundown, the restrictions were, were lifted. What a sight this must have been. I'm, I'm trying to picture this. It's dark, all right? It's dark. There are no dusk to dawn lights. It is dark outside. And you got this huge crowd of maybe hundreds of people shambling along. Some of them are demon-possessed. And they're outside the door trying to get in. I don't remember ever seeing an episode of The Walking Dead, but it's probably something like that. Maybe some of y'all can fill me in on that. I'm not like a zombie movie kind of person. Like a couple of times we've tried to watch zombie movies, Katie nopes out of that as fast as she can she can like mute the sound if you mute the sound on a zombie movie then it's just funny because they're making all these faces if you put a different soundtrack to it 
You know, it's like, what is wrong with these people? It's the, it's the creepy sounds. But I kind of picture it being like that. You've got this huge crowd of people. It's dark, and they're crowded, wanting to get in, wanting to see Jesus, and, and, and they have varying degrees of sickness and injury, and some of them are going to be acting very, very wild because of their condition. And I'm not really sure how it works. Mark doesn't explain how it works. I'm guessing they let a few people in at a time. Simon Peter's house would not have been a large place, maybe as big as this room we're in. And for those listening on the podcast, our worship space is not all that big. Maybe it's this big or maybe half this big. And they let a few people in at a time and and he heals them and maybe sends them out the back door. I would love to get more details. The thing is about the Gospel of Mark, he's just so fast-paced. He's not got time to bother. You want more details? Go see Luke. Luke was a medical doctor. He'll give you the details. Mark's going to give you the gist. Now, do you remember who it was who told Mark these stories that got written down in the Gospel of Mark? You remember who it was? It was Simon Peter. It's pretty generally understood that Simon Peter is the one who told Mark these stories. And he's a man of action all through the Gospels. So he's not got time for a lot of explanations. We're just going, going, going. Explanation is for someone else. We're about action here. So we just have to fill in the, the blanks a bit with our imagination and kind of picturing how it is. So he, he was healing people. He was casting out evil spirits. It did say that he did not allow them to speak. They, they knew who he was. They recognized him as the son of God. But would you really want somebody demon-possessed going around being your witness? Probably not. It doesn't, doesn't seem, you know, we... We want to be good witnesses for the Lord. I've said that before. When we covered this a few weeks ago. Um, it's very important that if you're representing the Lord, if you're representing Recreate Church, you've got a Recreate Church shirt on. I swear I'm ordering some of those. I just haven't got to it yet. I swear I'm ordering some more. You know, you want to be a good representative? <laughs> you want to be somebody who's, who's uh, representing it well, and these guys would not have been a good representative for Jesus. So... This must have gone well into the night. It's sundown when it started. And there's the whole town is there. And whoever else could get there. So you're talking about maybe hundreds of people. So it's well up into the night. And they call it quits for the night. And there's still people waiting. It does not say exactly. But I'm guessing some of them just waited all night. Like like people in line to get something that's coming out. Like the new PlayStation (laughs) is coming out, or the new iPhone, or things people camp out for. I've never done that, have no interest in that. But uh, they were waiting probably all night long with the idea that in the morning, Jesus will start healing people again. That makes sense, right? So let's see what actually happened. Now we're at verse 35. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, He went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. Everyone's looking for you. So instead of staying around, Jesus snuck out of the house while it was still dark, and he went out into the countryside, and he stayed there by himself. Why was he out there? Well, he needed to recharge. He'd been up all night. Most of the night, healing people. Jesus was and is divine. 
But he has that human part of him too. And that's good for us. Because he's not just a God way out there somewhere in the universe. He's a God who knows what it's like to be a person. To struggle. To, to be tired. To be worn out. And he had to go and recharge every now and then. In our hustle and bustle modern world, we don't get enough recharge time. Now, we get downtime. But we generally don't do things that really recharge and rejuvenate us. Because I'm telling you, there is no rest and rejuvenation in scrolling social media. I know it. And my wife is looking right at me and saying, Michael, you know you scroll that Facebook all the time. She doesn't sound like that at all. But I, don't, I can't do her voice. So you get what you get. <laughs> um, there's no rest in it. There's no rest in, in scrolling social media. There is no rest in scrolling Pinterest. Oh, that hit a different group of people than the Facebook one did. There's just there's no rest in in binge watching whatever show is on. There's just no rest in it. We do things that are downtime, but we don't do things that rejuvenate us so much of the time. We gotta do that though. For me, my rejuvenation is get somewhere alone with God and talk to him. I don't get to do that a whole lot. I want to do that a lot more. I, I miss that. I miss making being able to do that, so I'm, I'm hoping my schedule is going to change up a little bit and I can get a little more time for that. So if Jesus has to stop and make time to recharge, don't we? Makes sense. So meanwhile, back at Simon's house, it's morning. And here are all these people, some of them who may have waited all night, and they're ready to get in the door and be healed. And Simon comes out and he says, uh, well, he's, uh, I, can't, I can't find Jesus. I'm just going to level with you. I can't, I can't find him. And what would you do if you were standing outside waiting in line and you'd been there all night? And somebody comes out and says, oh, well, I can't find Jesus. Well, go find him. Go find him then. They've got to be frustrated. I mean, it's such a weird situation his house is being mobbed and they're looking for jesus but jesus is not there simon doesn't know where jesus is these people probably don't believe him when he says he doesn't know where jesus is so he goes out and he looks for jesus and he does find jesus and i love this way it's so simple everyone is looking for you now is that the way that he probably said it and just deadpans like everyone has been looking for you sir it's like everyone's looking for you and they're at my house, and they're trying to get in, and they won't believe me when I say that you're not there. Could you please come back and do something with these people? And Simon Peter's got to be wondering, why did you ever go out here in the first place when there's such a mess back here, and there's so many people who are looking for you? And he says, can you come back? Now, please, everyone's there, and they want to be healed, and we know you can heal, so why don't you come back? But let's see what he actually did, verse 38. But he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues 
throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. So did Jesus go back to Peter's house? It sure doesn't sound like it. He said, he, he said let's go. And they walked out of Capernaum, where they were, and they went to other towns, preaching and healing. And, and Mark abbreviates this into one short verse, verse 39, that he went preaching in synagogues throughout all Galilee. But this was probably weeks or months that he just disappeared before daylight and he might not have come back to the house. There's no indication that he came back to the house and healed all these people. There's not actually an indication that he sent Simon Peter back to go tell him what was up. It's just like, okay, Jesus was here. He was healing people. And I was waiting in line. And I was the next one in line. And now Jesus is not here anymore. Is that what you're telling me? Imagine being one of those folks. I mean, hooray for the folks in the other towns. But how would you like it? If you were next in line to be healed, and then next thing you know, Jesus has gone to a different town. That's like in that Mario Brothers game where you beat the castle, and the dumb little toad pops out and says, I'm sorry, but our princess is in another castle. Any of y'all ever play this game? These are the, you've got to be over like 30-something to have played that game probably. Some of the younger people won't know that one. Come on, what? Have we not felt that way sometimes, though? That you were praying about something, maybe praying about healing for yourself or somebody you care about, but it seems like Jesus has gone somewhere else. Jesus is over in another town. Jesus is helping other people, but not you. So let's ask that question, that hard question. That question that I ought to be smart enough not to ask because it opens up such a can of worms. Why doesn't God heal everyone? Mm -mm. It's a heavy question. I wish I could tell you that I had a perfect answer lined up for you. But here's, here's what I do have. I have experience living in a home with chronic health conditions that have been a huge part of our story. And I got getting close to 20 years and pastoral experience working with people some of them who get healed and some of them who don't and these are heavy things we we believe that god is good yeah amen god is loving absolutely and we assume that a good and loving god would always heal everybody but it's evident that god does not always heal everybody so we're left with this big question in front of us that one of two things must be true here and we have to figure it out. Number one is, is God maybe not good and loving? Or the second one, and this is the one I think it is, we need to rethink our assumptions about healing. What assumptions? I'm so glad that I asked the question that I wanted you guys to ask. What assumptions? Well, we, for one thing, we assume that healing should be the norm. And it sounds good. And we read the New Testament. And we read about people getting healed. And it seems like lots of people are getting healed in the Bible. And it's an all-the-time thing. But we probably should clue into something. When someone gets healed in the Bible, do they act like it happens every day? Or are they kind of surprised? 
Do they have a big reaction to it? So that ought to tell you it didn't happen all the time, every day. As a matter of fact, if you read the Bible, there's really only two short periods of Bible history where there were lots of healings and miracles going on. One was the ministry of Elijah and Elisha. In the Old Testament, we covered that last year maybe. And the other is the ministry of Jesus and the apostles in the New Testament. And it didn't last all that long. So in the thousands of years covered by Bible history, there was, you know, uh, two periods of a few decades where healings and miracles were happening more often. And most of the rest of the time, did God heal at other times? Yes, but it wasn't like a whole lot of that going on at any given period. Outside of that, I mean, it, it was miraculous. It just didn't happen all the time. So... One commentator said, maybe instead of asking why, why doesn't God heal everyone, we could ask, why does God heal anyone? But he does. He does heal. But we need to understand that it's, it's not maybe as normal as we would like to think. And, and we say, well, why, why, why does God heal? And we, because he loves us. And he absolutely does. You believe God loves you? He does. We love you. Our motto here is, no matter your story, you are welcome, you are wanted, and you are loved. That's what we're about. But here's another assumption that we get to that is a problem. We assume that healing is the proof that God loves us. That if God loves us, He would absolutely answer our prayers and give us what we ask for. Now that sounds good, especially when it comes to something like healing. But the idea that God should just give us what we want, is that a really mature way to see God? There's some growth needed there. Is, is God this cosmic genie? And instead of a lamp, we got a Bible? And He'll just give us our wish? Is God a cosmic vending machine that we insert a prayer and we push the button and the little little auger goes and health drops out or you know wealth drops out? No. It's it'd be nice, wouldn't it? The thing is though, if God answered all of our wishes, we would make a mess. You notice all those stories about like wishes coming true? They always manage to mess it up, but we think we're the exception because we're super smart. We're smart, Keith. We're smart. We wouldn't mess it up like everyone else would. Of course, this idea of demanding what we want, that ought to tell us. We, we have relationships with people, right? People we care about, family and friends and loved ones and significant others. If, if, in a relationship between two people, someone regularly says something like, give me what I want, or it proves you don't love me. Is that a super healthy way to do human relationships? Is that a recipe for like a real happy, good, productive relationship? Obviously not. I mean, if ultimatums and tests of love aren't great for relationships with other people, why would we think that's a good way to relate to God? It, it certainly isn't. If God loved me, he would answer my prayers for healing. If God loved me. Hmm. Is, that, is that 
true, though? It's our assumption, but is it true? Ever heard of a guy named Paul? Paul of Tar- Saul, Paul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul, these are the names he goes by. Guy who wrote a bunch of books in the Old Testament. You know something about Paul, you've heard Paul. Did Paul love God? Absolutely he loved God, and he paid the price for his love for God. Did God love Paul? Sure he did. Absolutely he did. Undoubtedly. But not everybody remembers Paul had some physical issues that he prayed about to be healed and God didn't heal him. We don't know for sure what Paul had going on. He didn't come out and tell us exactly. But we have a pretty good idea that he had some eye issues. Maybe he had a pretty serious eye disease. And he he cried out to God and asked God to heal him. It was so bad, he described it as his thorn in the flesh. He said, it's like a briar poking me all the time. God, can't you do something about this? Did Paul have faith? Yeah. Did he pray in faith? He sure did. Did God love Paul? Yes. But God did not answer his prayers to be healed. At least, he didn't give the answer that Paul wanted. He didn't heal him. He told Paul specifically that it was better for him not to be healed how would you like that if you went to the doctor and said you know hey doctor i just cu- I cut my finger off huh could you do something about that he's like you know i think it's actually better for you to have nine fingers what would you think of that Yeah, you would be like, okay, you know, what's up with that? Yeah, a second opinion. And you have your finger wrapped up like in a paper towel. It's like, could you, could you for real put it back on, you know? So it's sort of hard to accept. And Paul didn't accept it because he tried two more times. He tried two more times to get healed. And, and um, God did not heal him. And what do we make of that? What do we make of that? That he was not healed. That can't be right, can it? Well, that leads us to maybe the biggest assumption of all. We assume that healing is always the best thing that could happen. And that seems like a no-brainer, right? Of course. Of course, the best thing that can happen is healing. I mean, the only good thing that can come out of having an infirmity is being healed from the infirmity. Infirmity. Right? Nothing good comes from an ailment. Does it? Hmm. God told Paul... That he wasn't going to heal him. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. In other words, it's better for you to stay like you are, but I'm going to give you some grace to bear it. Why, though? We might know one of the reasons. Paul did not know why at the time, but maybe we know one of the reasons here. 
When the Apostle Paul went into the region, region of Galatia, and we know that because of the book of Galatians, the Galatians were a, a people group. It was a region and a group of people. He went into Galatia and he began to give them the gospel, but it was his physical infirmity that gave him the opportunity. He talks about how when he came to Galatia, it was through his infirmity that he first spoke to them. So somehow this issue that he had was his point of connection with people that gave him the opportunity to tell them about Jesus and God's love for him. And it was through the illness that gave him the opportunity. Let me tell you something, folks. You can impress people with your strengths, but you'll relate to them through your weaknesses. It's the stuff that you go through that will give you the opportunity to, to talk to people and to minister to people. And it's, it's, it's one thing to impress people, but it's another thing to move their hearts. Impressive people rarely make as much of an impact as you think. It's the people who are empathetic, who know what you've been through. They're the ones who you want to hear from. You see, as a result of Paul having this issue, probably with his eyes, he got the opportunity to preach the gospel in this area, and thousands of people got saved, and their descendants, and, and on. Their, who knows how many tens of thousands of people are in heaven because God didn't heal Paul. Because he didn't. That's way outside of what we're comfortable with. That because God did not heal somebody, more was accomplished. We need to question our assumption that the only good that can come from illness or infirmity is to be healed from it. When God set out to redeem the world, did He do so by sending His Son to live an easy, painless life and then ride the escalator up into heaven when He was done? No. Jesus came and He suffered and He, he paid the price physically. And He accomplished our redemption through physical infirmity. It's so easy to forget that on the night before Jesus was crucified, He prayed to get out of it. Was that his lack of faith? Absolutely not. But it's that human part of him. He knew. The God part of him knew what was about to happen. He knew how he was going to suffer. And the human part of him was understandably concerned about it. And he prayed. And he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we read that he was pouring sweat in such a way that it looked like blood was dropping off of him. And he said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering pass from me, but your will be done. He prayed to be spared from infirmity, from this pain, but did God grant that request? No. Why? Because something bigger was going to go on was going on god was going to accomplish something through the infirmity what about our lives if god turned physical pain into purpose into salvation in the life of jesus what about us 
Now, I want to be absolutely clear about this. God did not invent sickness. He did not invent infirmity. He, he is not pleased when someone is hurt. He is not pleased when someone is sick. He, he does not want that for people. The day is coming when He is going to destroy all sickness and all infirmity. He, that's coming. That's going to happen. So understand how God feels about it. But in the meantime, this is our reality. That we live in a broken world that is corrupted by sin and there's going to be sickness and there's going to be injury. There's going to be ailment. There's going to be pain. But it doesn't have to be pointless. God can leverage our pain into purpose. Through what we deal with, we learn endurance and we learn maturity. Learning to patiently endure pain is a big part of becoming a grown-up person. Kids can't handle pain or discomfort. It's the mark of maturity that you can be hurting and not bail out on God. That's maturity. Now let's be honest about something else. We rarely get serious about getting our spiritual house in order while everything's going good. When everything's going good, it's easy to just coast along. It's when something happens that we start realizing we have work to do. Most of these people who came to Jesus that night, they may not have come to him except they had a physical infirmity. They, they felt the need. They needed relief. They came for relief, but what they needed more was redemption and renewal and forgiveness. As much as I don't like to admit it, physical ailments send us searching for spiritual answers. I don't like that. Usually when, when I'm suffering physically, I don't like who I become. Some of you ladies are thinking, that's because you're a man, honey. And men can't handle being sick. And the smug looks you're giving me right now. You really need to talk to the Lord about that. Okay. <laughs> I do think women tend to bear it a little more patiently. And there, we could go into that. But the thing is, I, I don't like it. But eventually I come back around. You know, you get sick enough. You start repenting of stuff you ain't even done yet. You just thought about. You know, like, Lord, I'm so sorry. I didn't do that, but I could have. I had to, I, you know, you, you really, you get there. You come back around. Suffering leads to soul searching. The healing ministry of Jesus, you need to know this. The healing ministry of Jesus wasn't really about healing, by the way. It was about leading people towards spiritual awakening. The healing and the other miracles of Jesus or to show that his message of redemption was for real. People came to him for healing, but healing is not what they needed. They needed redemption. I'm going to ask Michael if he'll come up here. He's going to play a little something for us. But We should absolutely be praying for healing. Absolutely. We should be praying for people who are sick. We should pray for people who are hurt. We should pray for ourselves. We should pray for others. We should. 
pray in faith, believing in the power of God. If you're waiting on healing, don't give up. Keep praying. God can heal people. God does heal people. I have seen it, folks. I have known of at least one case where the doctors saw tumors on a scan. They physically felt the tumors in this person's abdomen, and the surgeons opened him up, and the cancer was not there. That happens. Does it happen all the time? No, but it can, and it might, and we should pray. Absolutely, we should pray. That's exciting, isn't it? But we need to remember that healing doesn't always come in the form we expect it or in the time we look for it. And God may have some really good reasons for that. He may be doing some things that we cannot see. I'm certain that He is. Even when we can't see it, He's working. He's moving. And the story isn't over yet. Okay, imagine those poor people standing outside of Simon Peter's house and they're waiting to be healed and Jesus just doesn't come back to town that day because Jesus did come back to Capernaum later. He wasn't done. He was just doing something else that day. He came back to Capernaum. That was his base of operations in his Galilean ministry. So in a few weeks or a month later, he came back to Capernaum. And chances are pretty good, those people who were waiting on healing, they got healed then. We just don't hear about it because it wasn't the time that we expected. Healing can come even when you've stopped looking for it. So keep up your prayers. Remember that God's at work. Some of His greatest miracles come not from immediately addressing an issue, but when He He doesn't answer in the way we expect. You don't know what opportunities God's going to give you. You might be like the Apostle Paul, and you're in the doctor's office, and that's where you witness to somebody, and that's where you make a difference. You might bust out in revival in a doctor's office. You might be witnessing to the people in the medical facility and fellow patients. Look, I've asked Michael to save this song for last. I I think this is going to minister to us right now. I'm going to ask you to stand at this time. He's going to lead us in this last song. Right now you do business with God. And you, you talk to Him and pray. And grab somebody to pray with you if you need someone to pray with. And I'll be glad to pray with you too. I'm your God, that's who I am The one and the only, the great I am Call my name and just believe I'll settle your soul and you will see When you call my name, I'll give you peace. Calm your mind and your storms will cease. Won't you come to me? And I will come to you. 
Won't you call my name in the darkness And I will see you through For I am your God Hush, my child, now don't you cry The storm is almost over, can't you feel it night? The wind and the waves still know my name They hear my voice because I speak so plain I gave no other rainbow sign To say I won't destroy what is mine Won't you come to me And I will come to you Won't you call my name in the darkness And I will see I am your God. Come to me with your sorrow. Come to me with your pain. Come to me in your darkness. Let me light your way Come to me when you're broken When you're lost and confused Give me all of your problems Let me care for you For I am your God Look upon my face And see I prepared you a special place Storm is what made you strong I was with you all along Won't you come to me and I will come to you won't you call my name in the darkness and I will see you through for I am your God Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you guys for being a part of the service here today. Um, share this with folks. Let them know you can find our podcast. And we're here at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. We do the outdoor service every day. Thank you all. God bless you. And uh, keep up praying for people. We'll see you next time.